Hey, this is Jason Hannafeld, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that, but with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorant, and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist. Coming at you after a lousy day, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and my black dentist told me he'd have to put a cap in you. I haven't gone back since. Oh, my God. <laughs> Joy, as usual, is a team who thinks crushing pop cans is so depressing. Oh, my God. But, um, love it. <laughs> she caught a pervert on the bus watching porn over her shoulder. Nancy. That bastard. <laughs> Yeah, you're just sitting there trying to watch porn in, in peace, and then they're just like, oh, yeah. your business. Yeah. Called privacy. And yeah. she was told sex was sin unless it's doggy style, because all dogs go to heaven. Christina. Oh, God. <laughs> they're so bad. You're so bad at jobs. And she'll say F you politely with, with all due respect, intercourse yourself. Kristen. <laughs> I would be the one to do that. Yeah, you would. Ladies, welcome back. Hope you had a great week. I don't know. Um, oh, no. <laughs> really you weren't quite there? Okay. Well, Not really. <laughs> I was sick this week. Truth be told. Not really. And then stressing over trying to get ready for a job interview while being sick and be like, no, of all the days for it to hit. Yes, of uh. course. So we were supposed to be talking to uh, Dave today, uh, Dave Warnock today, about uh, uh, he's got um, ALS and we were supposed to talk to him. But unfortunately, he had to cancel that and push it further down the road. But we got our old friend Robert Stanley will be joining us today on the show. And that's in the second half of the show. So first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Let's start with some good news. Uh, Did you guys hear the uh, council in Calgary in the province next door? Yes, I did hear this. Canada's Canada's oil country. uh, Unanimously passed LGBT conversion therapy therapy ban. About time. Yeah. So that that is great news, especially in Alberta, which is, you know, for uh, our our maker and our audience, Alberta is basically our version of Texas. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, so... uh, But still more progressive. Yeah, apparently still more progressive, nonetheless. (laughs) Much more progressive. Of course, it's long discredited practice uh, to attempt to change sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, Of course, it's been debunked so many times it's not even funny anymore. The... uh, it was never funny. <laughs> the WHO and the Canadian Psychological Association says it poses a severe threat to human rights and the health of the victims of this uh, this uh, so-called therapy. So, and uh, the the law is passing. So, also it points to any businesses offering this kind of service would be fined. Uh, it seems like very positive. I'm just I'm just wondering though if they offer this as a religious. Not as a business, but as a religious therapy from a church. Could they get away? Could they find a loophole mm-hmm. there? I'm well, wondering. So we'll have to keep an I eye don't on that. No. Well, if, if they call it like something else, maybe. Okay. Who fucking knows? Um, the, uh, also, some good news. Did you guys hear that NASA has to actually reestablish contact with yes. Voyager Two? <gasps> I did hear about that. Oh. We spoke about Voyager Two a couple months ago, saying it finally went silent, and it was kind of a sad thing. Um, uh, Voyager Two is 11.5 billion miles away from Earth. God damn! Wow. It's beyond our solar system at this point. Um, it was launched in the in, in the 70s, if I remember correctly. Um, it has returned to taking measurements. 
Uh, so it's taking back measurements, going back to its old job, what it was doing. Welcome t- back. And welcome back, indeed. It takes mm-hmm. 17 hours to communicate one way to send a message to Voyager, and then 17 hours for it to reply back. So one command to Voyager takes 34 hours to happen. I mean, <laughs> yeah. when that you look you... at how far away Voyager is, it's not that bad. No, no. Well, that gives you some perspective on the distance because you can hear numbers and they say, oh, that's so long. But when you hear how many hours it takes, and of for course me, the, for it some reason, that, mail. It, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, it puts it in. It and of course, it, it in, the signal it, travels it, at the speed of light, too, so yeah. it takes that much time to go. That's where it is, wow. how far away it is. Um, in January 28th of this year, NASA informed uh, that uh, Voyager 2 had shut down for unknown reasons. Um, it, it was supposed to try to execute a maneuver. It was supposed to trigger a 360-degree turn on it, uh, but apparently uh, it didn't trigger that. Uh, it didn't do that maneuver, and that triggered apparently a software protection shutdown program. Oh. This is what they think actually Oh, so it was kind of a safety thing. Kind of a safety thing. He said, okay, we're not sure what's going on here. Shut down, you know. Smart. I, yeah, but, you know, for the technology of the time, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's it's amazing that this little thing still goes on. How do they get it back? I that's did, We'd have to ask somebody any, at NASA yeah. so for that. I, I wonder whether they've been aliens. working. I, I wonder if they've aliens. been working all this time. <laughs> tech wizards. Yeah, tech wizards. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you know, it, it shut down part of its program, but I guess the, 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 recept, uh, the, the reception from Voyager 2 was still open to receiving a message from NASA, and then somebody should say, hey, wake up, and Voyager kind of responded. Okay. Kind of went into sleep mode, yeah. kind of hibernation. Okay, it's kind of it's <laughs> kind of say. it's kind of fun that they can get Voyager back after all of these years, but the Iowa caucuses couldn't get their information back and forth. You know, with with the minimum Arr. delay. Technology is fun, except when it isn't. <laughs> God damn that whole clusterfuck. Well, you know, it's it's just, but they kept at it. They had the paper trail. Yes. And finally, it came back. So, you know, my feeling about it is, yeah, maybe the app wasn't properly tested, but they used every resource that they could, and they got the accurate results. I realize people are still going to be, you know, skeptical about it, but I, I'm on, on the positive side of they kept the, the paper trail. People were up God knows how many hours to get it right, and everything in the end turned out you know, maybe not as perfectly as they had originally mm-hmm. planned, but they worked around it and did it. I just so wish congrats the Americans... to all those people that put in all those hours to make sure yeah. that the results came in as accurately as I just possible. wish the Americans would go back to the system. Like, we've always had a paper ballot, and we never have these issues. Yeah. Never, ever, well, ever, ever have these we, issues in Canada. We do electric scanning of our paper ballots. Oh, yeah. No, that's it, for, the scans on scan, but then we extent, have the paper ballot. It's still a paper a ballot. It's still you still a pencil, a number mm-hmm. two pencil. You're still writing, and you know, and then they just count them manually. And we never ever have these issues that they have in the states. These issues of you know pushing a button on the machine and it's somebody else that appears to have you voted for. We'd never ever ever have these issues. Well, this was a more complex issue in that it was a caucus, and they had um, different ways of calculating who was um, uh, uh, ahead depending on how many people attended and then they had a first counting and then they had a second counting mm-hmm. and then they had a formula So, and then they had the app so it was the app that 
was dealing with all of these 1,600 uh, uh, precincts in the states that was added more than, than the voting machines itself. So it was a heroic effort to, to overcome the, the original glitch from the app. So that's okay. You guys are heroes in my... Yeah, well, I know that was a glitch, and you got a lot of criticism, but you overcame it and thank well, you. No offense. It never should have gone to the app in the first place. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know run by a company called Shadow. I mean, it's <laughs> suspicious from the beginning. Such a dog shit. You bad Christ. guy. But anyway, it, it kind of is a precursor <laughs> of what can possibly happen, especially with the Russians and the Republicans, you know, putting their thumb on the scale between now and uh, and the election. And of course, in more American news, Trump finally acquitted in the Senate. Oh, oh. Surprising. Uh, was, yeah. You didn't and, see that one coming? No, oh. no, no. And, you know, and but the, oh. the, the surprise was that Mitt Romney, of all people, stood up and spoke up against yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. And that was a surprise. You know, uh, bland as uh, white bread Mitt Romney mm-hmm. I think, decided uh, to find his spine. So that's kind of cool. The one thing that that leaves... Sorry, I'm trying to formulate sentences right now. Yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> <laughs> um... Trump, if he didn't, if if Romney didn't go against his party and vote to convict Trump, mm-hmm. they could have been like, oh, it was like a, the Democrats. It's just like a one-sided thing. Yeah. But now they can't. No. The, nobody can look at this situation and be like, it's just the Democrats. Because Romney, the previous presidential candidate mm-hmm. the one the whole party got behind saying this is our guy yeah. voted to convict Trump and he's, so, the, he's the first in history to actually convict somebody of the same party mm-hmm. for an impeachment yep. that's the first time and in history that's when happened. you listen to his speech about why he did it mm-hmm. he rips his party members knew one. Yeah, he put he put a lot of, <laughs> a lot of his faith into it, which you know, as atheist, is like, yeah, okay, you roll your eyes, something like that. But, but the thing if, is, if, for if, his party, that means a lot. Yeah, so that if, means if, everybody who's Republican listening to that is like, wait. I have a feeling he's, he's genuine, actually. Same, this. totally. I have a feeling he's genuine about this. And I have a feeling that he, he does really think his faith is telling him mm-hmm. to do this. Well, I don't think anyone who followed Trump and then listened to the evidence and listened to the witnesses that uh, were brave enough to come in to to Congress mm-hmm. would ever think anything other than he's guilty as hell. Oh, I mean, there's just, there's amazing. no doubt. There's I, a lot I, I mean, of I, I was skeptical who... at first about Romney because I thought, well, maybe he made a deal with, with Mitch McConnell that, okay, you know, Mitch said, go ahead, you're going to be the only one that's not going to affect the outcome. So you're taking your own, mm-hmm. your own career um, uh, you know, in, into um, some risky business, but go ahead if you want to do it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, okay, there's some moral courage mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm beginning to think more favorably of him, and I'm definitely thinking favorably. Is it Doug Jones from Georgia yeah. who stood up against his constituency, mm-hmm. you know, and said... This is the right thing to do. Yeah. So both of those men, you know, in the light of I the didn't entire, hear the Jones thing. Yeah, well, he's I, he's a Democrat. He's so. a Democrat, oh. and he's one who's he's got, in, no, he's he in Alabama. 
Oh, that's right. He's Alabama. in Alabama. Yeah, you're right. He in Alabama, and um, he he's just a new senator, and yeah. most of his people are Republicans, his mm-hmm. constituency, and, and so he, he stood he's up very and said, "This is the right thing to do." Yeah. So you got two people, you know, who are are putting their careers in jeopardy for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. What does that say about our whole society? That it says to do society. the right thing, and then <laughs> and then you have the Vindman brothers who who um, are in the White House working for Trump and the administration who tell the truth, and then yeah. right uh, after yeah, they get fired. <laughs> What has happened to morality and truth and it's not justice in the White House and the American right now. way? No, the American America now is now a banana republic. It's just, it's, oh, well, they'd have I, to get I have be- no way to look at it. But they'd have to get better to be in a banana republic <laughs> at this point. You know, they, they've got a say, goal. I hate to say it, but it's, uh, yeah, it's true. It's like well, it's just it's jaw dropping. I can no longer think of adjectives that are bad enough to express how I really feel. You can go deplorable. You you can go disgusting. You can go unbelievable. It doesn't make it. There are no words anymore it's to how just, it's, far they fall. It's just a mess. If somebody right now was to come to me and offer me a job where I have to move to the United States and make a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, I would actually decline. More than I'm making now, and I would actually decline because it's that country is such a mess right now. But I, you, yes. I would not feel safe in that country. No, but there, there's a part of me, and there's a part of everybody that should say. With everything the United States has been through, they've pulled out of it. They're still here. They're a democracy. A, 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 an election is coming up. People have to pull together and be uh, and give everything they have to writing all the wrongs that have been done over the past you know three and a half oh, years. It's... If they don't. God help them. Well, it's, and and it's, from, from a little atheist girl, <laughs> God help them. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is all the, uh, you know, I've always looked at the Americans as, you know, the, 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 uh, a lot of American in the public always seem, seem to me that kind of attitude that don't tell me what I'm going to do kind of attitude, right? The Amer- Americans have, uh, they're, they're much less pushovers than us Canadians, for example. You know, Canadians are always, you know, let's, let's get along, let's compromise. But America's like, fuck you, I'm doing this my way. I but prefer the Canadian way, personally. Maybe yeah. so, but that's not the point. The point, the point I'm trying to make is the events that have been happening in the United States throughout the entire Trump regime, and I'm not going to use administration. Oh, no, it's totally a regime. Uh, (laughs) I have concentration camps. If if you had asked me 20, 30 years ago to make a bet, which country would see something like that first? I would have put Canada first. Because I think it's not for sure with a president like that, that the the United States would be, the streets of the United States would be running with people and riots all over the place and say, no, we had enough of this shit. But no, they've turned out to be complete sheep. All of them. And it's, it's just amazing that not even 30%, maybe 30% of the entire United States seems to be holding the the other 70% hostage, and they're just taking it. There's a, pardon my crude, my crude language here, but they're just bending them over and just raping them in the ass. And they're just taking it and taking it and taking it, and nobody has the guts to stand up to Mango Mussolini. The thing no, is, though, a lot of people it, are no, standing wait, up. I, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you, and all of a sudden, the name, what is the what is the name of the organization that has really started all of the, the protests? There's, there are a lot of protests right. going on. It, it's... It, it, um, 
Ezra Klein's group. I have no um, idea. <laughs> oh, okay. maybe that's maybe that's why. But there is a lot of resistance. There's a mm-hmm. lot of protest. There are letters and calls and. Um, um, uh, rallies that are going on in in all of the states. I'll think of it in about ten minutes. There is resistance that's going on. Mm-hmm. The, the difficulty is is that the resistance at this part, I, I, at this point, as um, as powerful as it is, is not getting through to the. 400, uh, the 435 people in Congress and the 100 people in the Senate this who make I mean. the decisions. No, the, the, but, this is what I mean. I but think, there I think is, they're, they're not sheep. They're tr- doing their best and thing. And th- between them and the investigative journalists, they really are trying to keep the truth, you know, well, in, from the public. Would you give me the, would you at least allow me to, 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 to give to me basically that if the resistance was that strong mm-hmm. and if those politicians actually felt that their job was on the line, they would not be caving to Donald Trump. But they the came to that, Donald Trump because they feel that the 30% that responds to Donald Trump is stronger than the 70% that supposedly resists. The thing is, there are, that there are 51, 51, yeah, 50, 51 or 53 Republicans mm. out of the millions, out of the 300 million. So those are the those are the ones who are controlling the, yeah. the legislature. And they feel they feel that they have the thirty percent behind them, and that thirty percent is stronger, more vocal, and more boisterous than the seventy percent that is apparently against this. You and we're going to, to find out whether they're right or wrong, aren't we? Well, so far, they've been right, yeah, but because really, they keep doing it. Yeah, indivis- is, is it indivis- It's indivisible. Mm-hmm. The group that yeah. is having. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thing. No, yeah. no, they they really they, they really are, and the Democrats, you know, Adam Schiff and and the people in the Congress, they've really been working hard. The problem cool. is, is that the, the Republicans, I think, unfortunately, have the um, have the majority to make the political decisions. I don't think they're they all. Have sheep. The ma- they have the majority so. simply because they're yeah. not. They're not afraid of the public. They're not afraid of the people. Yeah. They're not afraid of the constituents. Yeah. And they feel safe with the thirty percent of Trump cult. But the other thing, you, we, the other thing we need to take into account is that the, in the two thousand sixteen election, mm-hmm. the Democrats took back the House and uh, twenty eighteen, and and there was the resistance that did come through in in the vote. Yeah. So they, they did show that they're unhappy with the way and, things are going. And the way the Iowa caucus is going now, they might screw the 2020 election. Well, the they're going. you know. Anyway, we did you have something to say? Hey, we had a politi- we had a political discussion. <laughs> we always do. Actually. We did. I know that was a good one. Last but certainly not least, uh, did you guys hear a little? Unfortunately, uh, some bad news. Uh, Thursday, last Thursday, uh, Antarctica registered 64, 65 degrees Fahrenheit. That's eighteen point three degrees Celsius. Mm. Yikes! In Antarctica. That's, That's concerning. Insane. At Argentina's Esperanza it's Research Station. It's the middle Station. of winter. Well, over there it's their summer. Oh, right there at Bula. But yeah. nonetheless, yeah. but nonetheless, uh, the previous record was 63.5, and uh, that, which is 17.5 degrees Celsius. That was in March of 2015. Um, this was the same temperature. They were having the same temperature in Antarctica that they had at San Diego, just oh to give you an gosh. idea. 
That's concerning. Uh, it is. But like where would you rather be? <laughs> <laughs> Antarctica. Antarctica. Well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the the It's the summer in the, in the southern hemisphere. The uh, WMO, which is the World Meteorological Organization, uh, hasn't confirmed the record yet, but they are just about to do that. Um, the temperature has been up in Antarctica of 5.4 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 3 degrees Celsius, in the past 50 years. Um, and, of course, the scientists are concerned because they say there's enough ice in Antarctica to rise the water levels around the world 200 feet. Mm. Um, so this is, you know, I'm just glad that climate change is a Chinese hoax, obviously. Good, thank goodness for that. <laughs> Otherwise, we, we might actually have to be worried about this. All right. Okay, my dear Nancy... Okay, my dear Kevin. <laughs> you got to tell You're expecting Kevin. me to do something. I do. You got to tell I'll do us. it then. All right, sounds good to me. Just just to be nice since we had a little we had a little uh, dust up there between us. But that's no, I, I would never disagree with you uh, in, in, in private because I know you would just kick my ass. <laughs> so I do it in public where I'm relatively safe. Um, At least where he can pretend that he is. Why? I have a paper trail. <laughs> if I disappear all of a sudden, you know why. Oh, no. <laughs> do we now? We're all we're all safe. Anyway, um, knowing that I I really enjoyed the weird and the different, um, this one has to do with a top ten book predictions that really came true. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know how you can um, uh, look at at, at at novels that were written quite a while ago. Also, The Simpsons. And, and see, you know, now I mean, there were people that do predictions as a hobby or as a business, but these are different because they were actually novels that were written. Nice. And it turned out that from their fiction came some truth mm. year, years later. So here we go. Um, the, the first one that I thought was interesting is Gulliver's Travel by Jonathan Swift, and that's way back in the 1800s. Prediction in Gulliver's Travels? Pardon? A prediction from Gulliver's Travels? A I'm prediction kind of curious. From, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, Jonathan, Jonathan Swift, as you know, wrote Gulliver's Travels, mm-hmm. and that had to do with Lemuel Gulliver meeting different types of people in different types of countries, and then he um, he had the different experiences that they had, and you know it was it was a satire and it was a commentary on life in his time. Well, one of the places um, where Jonathan, where uh, uh, Gulliver went, was a um, a country called Laputa. I, I've never heard it said so. L a p u t a. Yeah. Okay, and it was a, a country where uh, it's sort of a flying land, and it turns out that the Laputa astronomer, astronomers discovered Mars had two moons, and this is fiction, and um, this is 150 years before they were actually observed by a, um, a astronomer whose name was Asaph Hall. Asaph Hall was in 1877. So when Asaph Hall discovered that um, uh, Swift's conjectures were were, uh, actually truer than anyone would have guessed, he um, found that, that Swift was really pretty accurate uh, about about Mars. So he named the moons Phobos and 
Demos in a nod to Gulliver's Travels. Um, and then he had a crater on Demos that was named after Swift, the writer himself. Nice. So I think that's really that's that's a lovely cool. it's a lovely story, you know, that that it was so accurate yeah, and yeah. that the astronomer decided to name the uh, the moons after Swift. That that really is just kind of makes you wish you could go back in time and ask him why he did like why well, as an author, it was probably just a mere coincidence, but nonetheless, you know, it's, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Another one going going back in, in time with Jules Verne. And, oh, I was yeah, about to say, no, there's no. got to be Jules Verne there. Okay, so now in 1865, a time when plumbing wasn't even a regular fixture, um, the uh, Jules Verne, who I guess we could, could we call him the, the father of modern science fiction? I think so. I think, I think, so. I think, I, I think that'd be warranted. Okay, so um, in his, his book, From the Earth to the Moon, mm-hmm. Even, I mean, plumbing, which was so basic, we don't think of it. His thinking went so far beyond the basics that he predicted a moon landing. Yes, I mean, did. just think of it when, you know, there was so little technology. So he predicted a moon landing, which sparked interest in, in space um, um travel around the world aside from the fact that when he wrote it it was absolutely improbable um, the prediction I think did spark some interest in in how people could accomplish you know things like that even knowing so little about science and how things fit together yeah however in Joel Verne's uh, adaptation you were essentially in a capsule that was essentially a bullet that fired from a cannon and that's how you went to the moon yeah. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, nonetheless, I mean, he describes you know gigantic explosions and all that, and it's exactly what a shuttle kind of does today in a rocket: gigantic explosion that propulses the capsule like a yeah. bullet kinda. in orbit. So it's very, very close, actually. Yeah. So here's a, here's a more modern one. Uh, Philip Roth, a, a prominent fiction writer, wrote a book in. 2004 uh, called The Plot Against America. So it doesn't stand out just because, you know, it was Philip Roth, who, you know, was was a wonderful fiction writer. What makes the novel remarkable are the starting similarities between the protagonist's presidential campaign and Donald Trump's actual election 12 years after the book um, was published. So in in an alternate universe, you know, according to Roth, Roth um, reveals how a demigod celebrity could launch a presidential campaign. And initially in the in the novel, it was seen as a joke by the other party, but his guy that who was named Charles Lindbergh. I don't know I don't know whether Roth <laughs> named it after the real Charles yeah, Lindbergh yeah, exactly. or did it but Roth named his guy um, Charles Lindbergh. So he had no premonition, you know, that it would be anybody named a, a Trump. But anyway, Charles Lindbergh um, beats Roosevelt and gains the uh, votes of a thousand Republicans and right-wing supporters. And just like Trump's campaign, which was sustained by promoting the inadequacy of the Democrats and not through um, an advocacy of you know a, a real objective or long-term plans, Lindbergh Lindbergh's uh, campaign wins by a landslide. It's considered the end of democracy, and it was believed to be an impossible 
impossible feat. And but, but it, fact and fiction, both Lindbergh and Trump went up against people who were better funded better qualified and educated. Mm -hmm. It really makes you wonder what mm -hmm. Roth was mm -hmm. seeing about our society to predict that someone like Trump, or whether it was just in his mind that this was so unreal. that so I, I didn't read the reviews of the book, nor did I read what Roth actually thought. But the fact that it paralleled is kind of creepy, yeah. you know, that he could have... Quick side note, just go see uh, Charles Sagan's uh, Demon Haunted World. Yeah. which was written over 25 years ago. I let him describe exactly what's going on now. It's exactly what's going on. Yeah, interesting. So two more. Uh, this one is by Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. He wrote a book called The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. So this is this is a little bit gross here and there, but, but uh, we'll get through it. So Edgar Allan Poe um, wrote a book that is the story of Richard Parker. So um, the narrative of of uh, Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is a really odd tale, and it was Poe's first uh, first novel, and it has to do with the maritime misadventures of Arthur Prim, who went from mutineer to murderer in a few short trips across the Atlantic. So it, it has to do with the, the Grampus, which was the name of the, the, um, the, the boat that Prim was on. Mm -hmm. um, the Grampus floods and leaves the crew lost at sea without food or water. So desperate, the crew members draw lots to identify one, yeah, we're getting there, one person who would sacrifice himself to sustain the rest of the crew. Oh, I remember this one. And so they picked this little kid, 17 years old, whose name was Richard Parker. And now this is fiction. All right. Why wouldn't you just pick the person with the most fat on their body? I, I, I didn't read the book. <laughs> I didn't read the book. Maybe maybe Richard Parker was the guy like 17 -year -old who was the most fat on his That's stocky. Well, I mean, if you work on a boat. That's true. Could have been. I mean, he could have been the, the, the one. Anyway, 46 years later, Britain's last trial for cannibalism at sea caused a stir in English courts. The details of the morbid events, really, everybody was just really um, um, mm -hmm. uh, horrified at the fact that, that, that has, this had happened. But the real story had to do with the Ming, Minganet, which was a small yacht that had set sail from Australia, from England. It sank. It left a four-man crew to fight for themselves aboard a wooden dinghy. Now, this is a reality in Britain 46 years later. Mm -hmm. Weakened and at the brink of death, the captain and the mate killed a young lad who caved and overdosed on salt water, um, giving him uh, the, 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 the crew... Um, it had 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 uh, not only this kid, but they they um, they they had salt water. They survived. You want to know what the kid's name was that was sacrificed? Oh please, Richard Parker. Oh my God! What yeah, the odds? I've heard of that one. Oh wow! Wait, but was he sacrificed or did he just die? Well, I think they he saved was, the city. Killed him. The, he caved in and overdosed. But he was so the they captain, like trying to no, make the him captain killed him. Oh, okay. The captain killed him. Okay, hear me. Yeah. Out. My brain's just like, oh, yeah. he just drank salt water. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Survival is the fittest. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. 
I mean that. They mean the the names, you know. That's, yeah, yeah, I know. That's that's something. Yeah. Goosebumps. <laughs> it's like psychics do exist. Yeah. I'm not serious. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Anyway, there are. If anybody wants to look this up, there were more in this article that had to had to do with it. But most of the stories were pretty long and involved, and I thought, oh, it's hard to. You know, hard hard to get our listeners to sit here and listen to more stories. But it just shows you this is a representative sample. And if you want to look up um, these stories for yourself, there are about Mm ten stories in in the list, and they're from Listverse, L-I-S-T-V-E-R-S-E. They're all um, uh, from Listverse, and it's called Ten Book Predictions That Really Came true so interesting I, for anybody who wants to look it up on their own I love to have this um, intellectual conversation with people sometimes when, especially when we talk about Joel Verne's because Joel Verne's another uh, great piece of his is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea oh, yeah. where he aptly predicts submarine exploration exactly yeah right and the funny thing is is that we, to Joel Verne's today in the mind of the public he's not just an author he's almost a quasi prophet and people really really uh, you know uh, give him credit for being such a visionary. Now, you take somebody that's much more recent to our time, somebody like Gene Roddenberry, who, of course, if you guys are Trekkies or anything like that, you know, he's the creator of Star Trek, and he imagined an entire world as well. Now, if we go jump 200 years into the future, and the future of humanity turns out to be something similar to Star Trek, will Gene Roddenberry go from being simply an author to being a quasi-prophet himself no. as well? Well, you have to wonder, with Jules Verne, how many 10-year-old boys and girls mm-hmm. read the book and they said, you know, this would be wonderful. And it sparked an yes, interest, yes. you know, in mm-hmm. science. And, you know, and so they may not have thought, I think I'm going to want to build a submarine when I get older. But I think I would be wonderful as a person searching for these kinds of answers and making this kind of scientific fiction into scientific yes, facts. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So d- did they mm-hmm. predict or did they inspire? I, for you me, know? it's a lot more of inspiring. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I think I agree yeah. with that. And yeah. I think it's one of the things that artists are not given enough credit for. Yeah. I think the, a lot of artists do inspire generations and future generations mm-hmm. to yeah. go beyond what we have. And if it's not for that, that moment, you know, if I go back to that series of Star Trek or something, or something like that, you know, can, can we deny today that the flip phone was not yeah. because of the, the, the telecommunicator? Or, and, or the iPad. Or the iPad. And, and all the, the, even guys like Steve Jobs have admitted that. And saying, you know, I, I saw this on, on the series mm-hmm. and I thought, wouldn't that be an amazing thing to have? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually, 20, 30 years down the road, there it is. So, so you know, you have you have to give credit to uh, art and 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 artists for doing something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we are doing ourselves a, a huge disfavor as a society when we don't um, protect the arts mm-hmm. and protect the artists. We have a tendency we just want to wake up and just go to work and do our, our routine and pay the bills. Uh, but I believe it was uh, wasn't it. Um, uh, Churchill that basically said that when somebody asked him why he was spending so much money on the Monument Men remember the Monument Men from World War II no the Monument Men were a special elite group that was emptying museums and moving the pieces of oh, art oh okay before the Nazis were yeah. coming in right secretly stashed them somewhere yeah and people were uh, were asking him the same kind of question we would ask today why are you spending so much money 
on this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we got bigger priorities. And uh, Churchill responded, if we're not defending our arts and culture, what the hell are we defending? Yeah. And I think he he's absolutely correct. Anyway, moving on. My dear Kirsten. Yes. Do you got another brilliant moment for us? I do. Brought to you by religion. Okay, so I'm going to start off with something a little short and obviously kind of stupid. <laughs> um, so, hold your opinions till I'm done. It's oh not God, very long. That's going to be hard. <laughs> going to mute myself right now. Conspiracy theorist Rodney Howard Brown, best known for his holy laughter based religious ceremonies, <laughs> was once criticized for not being a Christian. In a recent sermon, he explained how he responded to that critic by telling him how God was the only thing preventing him from committing murder. So I said to the guy, I said, you say that I'm not a Christian? I said, how did you come up with that? Let me tell you how much a believer that I am. I am so much of a believer today that if I wasn't, I would reach across. And I'm talking quietly. Oh, sorry. He's talking very quietly. I said, I would reach across the table right now, I'd grab you by the scruff of your neck, and I would take your head, and I would put you in your bowl of cereal till you drowned, if I wasn't a Christian. Can't you just feel the love? <laughs> you know what, if you if you really need a, a, an immoral being with his dusty Bronze Age book to tell you not to kill people, I'm sorry, you're not a good person to begin with. <laughs> I don't care how Christian you think you are, you're not a good person. No! You're not. By it, oh my god. Especially if it's just because somebody's disagreeing with you and <laughs> saying you're something you're not. Clearly he cares too much about other people's opinions. Was it the kind of cereal? Maybe he didn't like the cereal. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. You know, restraint is restraint. You know, some people so need the assassin a leash. Speaks some about people restraint. need a leash. Some people need a book. Some people some need people a muzzle. Some people need a moral compass. <laughs> Whatever it is, at least he didn't read across the table. I thought for sure you were going to say some people need a bullet. Yeah, some people need a bullet. I just... But I, I, agree, I agree with you in theory. I really do. That's what's keeping you from committing murder? Yeah. Well, you know what? If, if it is really is what's keeping you from committing murder, keep being a Christian. Right? Yeah. Like, keep That's being a Christian. Keep like, being a Christian. Yeah. I'm concerned for your well-being. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for the well being of people around you. Hey, if he ever deconverts and becomes an atheist, we're all in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, kind of wonder what would happen if people like this deconverted. It's not. Uh, like, it's, they kill someone and go to jail. Well, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, before I was uh, an atheist, for the longest time, I used to think, erroneously, of course, I used to think that atheism, you could not be an atheist. Because I said, if you actually were an atheist, what would, and you really think that this is the only life you have, why would you waste it going to work? Why would you waste it just doing normal things? You'd life be going out there and living to the fullest, you know, snorting coke and, coke and shooting hookers or whatever, right? That, that. Well, but, that's Grand Theft Auto. Well, yeah, that's exactly it, right? And of course, I was a kid too, right? But, <laughs> but I actually, for to my great shame, I actually used to think like that. So until I reasoned out of it. You know, the interesting thing, though, is that you know, the, what's his name? The guy who said if it wasn't uh, Rodney Howard Brown. Yeah, Rodney Howard doesn't realize how how few atheist murderers there are in jail. That's true. There are more Christian. There are more Christian. <laughs> By far. It, you know who are convicted of 
you know, killing Kind of makes you wonder. Murder and, you know, yeah, the atheist population. Maybe if he did convert to atheism, maybe if he did deconvert, he would develop a moral compass. Maybe it's because we maybe. don't have some mystical being in the sky telling us it's okay. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, moving on. So, we all know that the Super Bowl happened. Really? What's that thing? I don't know. Something where they play with a ball. Okay. They have a big show in the middle. So, Dave Dabemeyer plans to sue the NFL because the Super Bowl halftime show is keeping him from getting into the kingdom of heaven. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> he watched the Super Bowl, now he can't get into heaven? Uh, on his Pass the Salt Live webcast, he threatened to sue the National Football League for broadcasting unsolicited crotch shots during the Super Bowl halftime show. Please do it. I want this to happen so badly. Please sue That's what he said. I think we ought to sue. Would that halftime show... Would you... Would that have been rated PG? Were there any warnings that your 12-year-old son, whose hormones are just starting to operate... Was there any warning that what he was going to see might cause him to get sexually excited? I think we ought to go sit down in a courtroom and present this as evidence of how whoever put on the halftime show is keeping me from getting into the kingdom of heaven. Could I go into a courtroom and say, viewing what you put on the screen put me in danger of hellfire? Could the court say, that doesn't apply here because the right to produce porn overrides your right to not watch it? Yeah, well... You didn't tell me I was gonna watch it. You just brought it into my living room. You didn't tell me there was gonna be crotch shots. That's discriminatory against the value I have in my house. You can't just do that. I want to sue them for about eight hundred and sixty-seven trillion dollars. Oh my god! Now, first of all, as as a former, I want to be part of that suit. As a, as a former teenager who was twelve to sixteen year old, raging hormones. You know, a simple wind change will give you an erection at that age. So you might, you might as well sue everything. You okay. might as well sue the wind. You might as well sue a billboard. You might as well sue Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> so, so n- n- number one, the guy obviously doesn't have an off button on his TV. Number two, I didn't watch. What the heck is he talking about? There was a show with J-Lo and Shakira. They were having some... Pretty suggestive dance moves. They were wearing oh. like bodysuits as well, I believe. Okay. Yeah. It's J Lo and Shakira. Oh, okay. They, they were shaking it. Let's oh, just they were shaking it. Okay. You know? What you shaking. expect to happen. The, okay. the same thing you do after each show here, Nancy. They were doing the same dance. Okay. They got that routine from you, obviously. Okay. So then it comes down to he obviously doesn't have an off button on his TV. Yes. There goes the 83 trillion mil. And I'm he, off the suit And now. He's, ob- he's obviously a, a, a middle-aged man that is so repressed in his sexuality that as soon as he sees a halftime show, he can't contain himself. Well, he <laughs> think, did. Think see, about it. He's so horny that he had to call his lawyer. <laughs> I think this is a marital issue. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody bu- Patreon go let's buy him a sex doll I love how he like talks about like a 12 year old boy watching it and then he's like I'm not getting into heaven yeah that's right you're yeah. not getting into heaven because ugh. it's all it's all it, I'm the victim here I'm the victim um, yeah, it's but, like I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure in his imaginary fantasy land St. Peter's gonna be at the gates like 
Oh, you know what? You had the choice of turning off the button at the Super Bowl, That's right. Super Bowl, whatever it is, and you watch, you're going to hell. Yeah. But the crotch shots captivated him. They held him. It was the devil. Yes, oh. absolutely. All I got to say, hon, go jerk one off. You might feel better. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I'll take one off for Sh- Sh- Shakir's crotch. <laughs> I'll take one for the team. I would too. <laughs> Uh, oh, thank you so much for this. You do find the best stories, Miss <laughs> oh, Kirsten. I could not have that. Like, come on. No, that was wanting was to a sue gem. the Super Bowl for eight hundred and sixty-seven trillion dollars because of them. You're not getting into heaven. Yeah, exactly. Poor guy. So let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll be speaking mm-hmm. to Robert Stanley, our friend Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast. So stay with us tonight on A Current Affair. What is brewing in that soup? It's really fun to make up fake bombings for the kids to watch. Secular soup, that is. We understand. In this movie, we're the bad guys. This relatively unknown podcast has crept up the charts and looks to take over America by storm. And to a certain extent, this is who we are. I mean, all of my neighbors are terrible fucking people. What does it mean? I'm not I don't wanna I don't wanna vagplain anything. What do they want? And what effects does this grilled cheese and tomato soup of a show have on young listeners? When I grow up, I'm going to Bovine University. Are they a threat to America? Yeah, I lost 34 friends on Facebook in one day. We'll take a look at this feminazi communist menstrual show from the pit of hell and their hostesses. We are unabashedly trying to make money with this podcast. <laughs> like, we are not quiet about it. Like That and much more on A Current Affair. should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt and i claim that right in the morning hi everybody this is robert stanley from the right to reason podcast and if you subscribe now you'll get free learn more about the broadcast at the right to reason.com thinks the world was created by a man in a cloud in six days who then needed to rest. I love that. He's so powerful he can create the universe, but then he's pooped. I mean, how how can we have the same brain? I'm sorry to say we don't have the same brain. I mean, there's there's a great variation. One of the main principles of the Darwinian theory is plenty of variation for natural selection to work on. And there's sure enough plenty of variation in brain power. All the way, all the way from... Einstein on the one hand to Sarah Palin at the other. All right, our next guest is our returning champion, Robert Stanley, the host of Right (laughs) Right to Reason podcast. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Robert, thank you for coming back to Left of the Valley. All right, happy to be here. 
<laughs> you owe us a favor. Hey, he's a re- he's a repeat offender. He is a repeat you know, offender. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. He gets the, he gets all our respect. <laughs> Robert, I, I I totally uh, I, I totally appreciate uh, the, you coming on the show, and uh, as per our agreement, uh, I agreed to bring you back on the show, and you agreed to stop sending me your dick pics, right? Yeah, this okay. is this now now I can still send you like balls. Well, but. yeah, we might have to bring you back on the show for another one for that one. <laughs> Robert, for our new uh, audience members that might not have heard you the first time or the second time or the third time around, maybe you'd be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who Robert Stanley is. Is, is this four? That's crazy. I, you know, I think it is, actually. I bet it's more than that. Uh, well, you, you're one of the returning guests for sure. There was the the Christensen debate. I think that I had already been on a like. A few times before then, too. I think you also confuse the fact that sometimes we I appear on your show as well. I think this may be five or six. Yeah, you... but we also appear on your show once in a while. Actually, yeah. we run on the show yeah. once, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You were really awesome with the um, uh, the mythicism one. Oh, sir. Flat, flatter, which everything. Oh, what was his name? Dale. Oh, I forget. I wanted to say Dale Jordan because I got Gail Jordan in, in the brain. I don't know. <laughs> Dale. Dale Glover. That's his name. Yeah, uh, that sounds right. He actually does a show called uh, Skeptics and Seekers, and uh, well, he did. They broke up. Oh, I, yeah. I just went on. I just went on that show to debate Dale, and uh, that's when they told me that they they had broke up because they got really mad at each other. So the host of the show was actually giving him a harder time than than the guest, you know, than I was. It was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, but anyway, you you asked me about right to reason. It's a um, mostly a debate show. We we also like to have some fun, but. It discusses uh, a lot of a lot of broad ranging topics. Uh, does a lot with religion, philosophy, um, and a uh, little bit of conspiracy theory stuff too. Like today, I was supposed to talk to a guy that didn't believe birds exist. He backed out on me. Um, I've I've been seeing you posting that all week. What's this yes! thing about bird not existing? Man, I'm going crazy. It's the funniest conspiracy yet. And I was going to have a flat earther debate him. Oh, <laughs> so, really? oh, that would have been just amazing. Crazy. But um, that's going to have to be rescheduled. But but in the interim, while I was waiting for this guy to show up, uh, which he never did, uh, I got a hold of the guy that started this whole movement, um, Peter McIndoe. And if you actually type his name in, like he's he's the, the first one. He's been on the news for it and everything. It's hilarious. Now, now when, uh, they, when these people are saying birds don't exist, are they saying like the classification shouldn't exist or the actual animal itself? Yeah, they're saying that in the 1950s, uh, the CIA put out a, a hit job on all the birds to get rid of them and replace them with drones. And oh that these God. are actually CIA spy drones flying overhead. Uh, watching us all the time. So, so he thinks that every crow out there is a drone. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so, so the guy who's got a cockatiel. And they have the ability, like pigeons, to just drop stuff on your head. And, and so obviously, whatever the pigeons are dropping on statues and heads, they have little speakers and cameras in them to. I'm with this guy. I got it. <laughs> I'm I'm there. Oh my god. Oh boy. They invented something called like the Turkey X five hundred or something like that. (laughs) That was like a a bird killing flying drone. Keep the population down. So what so what are we eating on Thanksgiving then? Lies, Nancy. You're eating (laughs) 
part of the system. I have no idea. There's so many questions. But anyway, it's not all goofball stuff. But if, if anybody wants to check it out, uh, if you haven't already, it's uh, just go to the right to reason.com yes, and that link did everything. I, can, I cannot recommend this show enough. Robert probably has one of the most fantastic shows. I love to listen to it. Yeah. And you've brought out some pretty bang guests and you have some really deep moments a lot of times. So I really, really appreciate all your work. Uh, so if you uh, haven't listened to the right to reason podcast, please, by all means, do yourself a favor and please do listen to what Robert has to say. He's quite the goofball and he's a lovely, lovely guy. Um, so today we're talking uh, since. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just hard to take you seriously sometimes. Okay, so I'm not the only one. Yeah. The whole time you're talking, I'm like, what? You just admitted I sent you dick pics. <laughs> and they were lovely. Well, you know, they were a bit small, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Uh, so, Robert, uh, you, you've been studying political science, and God knows, as Canadians, we watch what's going on in the States with great interest. And popcorn. And popcorn. <laughs> And uh, as the, uh, the dumpster fire that's happening in the political arena in the United States, what the hell are you guys doing down there? I, I was going to ask you the same question. I don't know what the fuck's going on, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got, a better, you got a better chance of answering that question than I do. I mean, I'm in a different country here. Yeah. Um, well, I think what, what happened is what's going to happen again. Um, is this all goes back to the Republican Party – uh, kind of taking over as an establishment, controlling what everybody gets to vote for and manipulating everyone that's right wing, which, you know, right wing policies are bad. Right wing people aren't necessarily bad. Um, everybody has certain conservative or liberal leanings. And and while it's not necessarily just a, a dichotomy, you know, but it, it whenever you have a two party system like like the U.S., that dichotomy fits pretty well. And they they just kept uh, denying what conservative people were interested in again and again and again and becoming a little bit closer to the center. Uh, and eventually they just vote for a populist. They just they, they threw an orange Molotov into the system <laughs> and said, fuck this. And that's what we have now. This is this is right wing rage. Uh, and that's why it doesn't matter what he does. Because the whole thing was was a big joke to them. The whole thing was just, who cares? You know, nobody's listening to us anyway. Well, you're listening now, what? and that's exactly what what they wanted. And that's that's the same thing that's going to have to happen on the left. The whole reason that you know that everybody fell for hope and change. Well, mm. we had a lot of hope. We didn't get a lot of change. That's true. Um, yeah. Referencing Obama's slogan, of course, and then. Uh, they they wanted to push Hillary, who was not a progressive at all. She was a war hawk. Um, and now they're doing the same thing again. Or They tried to do it with Biden. It didn't work. They're, now they're doing it with Buttigieg. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems to me from from my standpoint here in Canada, it seems to me that you know they were trying so hard for Biden, but when they realize the public's just not going for Biden, they just basically switch around to, okay, who, who does it work? It seems to work in its speed. Okay, let's throw all our our money behind Pete now all of a sudden. That's, that's the impression I get. And it's not stop Bernie Sanders. And then and then you see what happened in Iowa recently. That's in, in the U.S. That's our first place of the uh, uh, um, the voting for the, for the Democratic Party. So that kind of sets the the, the stage. And they had this big bungle where they didn't uh, release any of the the votes, and then they start kind of just trickling them out. You know, thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent. Uh, they still haven't released all the votes. 
Um, and whenever you look into it, it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory um, any, any more than saying, you know, it was a conspiracy theory that Hillary and the DNC and the media were all working together, together to prevent a more progressive candidate like Bernie Sanders or, or anyone else that's progressive for that matter. Um, that wasn't a conspiracy as much as it was just it was a fact. Yeah. Like we, we, we saw the evidence with the WikiLeaks uh, leaks. So what, what's happening now in Iowa is um, Biden first donated – to the app company that was going to be recording all the votes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he only gave him like 1200 bucks and you know, big deal, but just a little creepy. Like, why are you donating to the people that decide who wins? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's obviously corrupt as already. Um, and then another candidate, uh, one of the people lower on the list, I can't remember her name. Was it Marion Williamson or some? It, it was know. one of the people that you I know think, were like, I don't yeah, think whatever. Williamson's You're not still running. in the race, is she? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. yeah, but or Duval, I don't know. Pat, Pat, um, but yeah, so Biden gives twelve hundred dollars to the app company, which ironically is called Shadow. Is mm-hmm. a, a, a villain film <laughs> that you believe it if you watched it on a movie? You'd be like, this is this is cheesy. You know, brought to you by Spectre. Good afternoon, Mr. Yeah, exactly. And then another candidate donates a little bit more. It was like four grand. And then Buttigieg catches on and donates $42,000. Oh, damn. I mean, at this point, this is getting ridiculous. This shouldn't even be allowed in the first place. Uh, it's not like it's a, a charity, you know, it's, it's a private company, uh, a for-profit company. That is deciding who the victor is. It's, it's just outrageous how horrible uh, DNC rules have gotten. Um, and then right after that, there was just a whole lot of issues with how the votes turned out. Uh, Bernie's claiming that he had 6,000 votes uh, more than anyone else, mm-hmm. the, more than the highest contender. And, and the crazy thing is he had his uh, team member, because of the problem in 2016, his uh, team member's and campaign members and delegates were taking screenshots with their phones yes. the entire time and recording. So there's actual uh, f- uh, f- uh, video and, and photo evidence of everything that they're claiming. Which I don't and, think the DNC was prepared for that. They weren't prepared for them actually going out and, and witnessing and being you know observers of the uh, the process. Right, right. So yeah, it's just it's just nuts. And there were there were certain uh, districts. In Iowa, where they just left a note for the people showing up to the, to vote, <laughs> and we don't we don't have enough uh, people to run this. Just collect all of the votes, uh, count them, and then bring them to us at said location. I mean, it's just outrageous. There was no preparation, as if they really didn't plan on this being a legitimate uh, election anyway. Do you feel that as a country, I mean, what would you, uh, we were saying this at the beginning of the show, you know, here in Canada, when you're voting, we're still going with the paper ballot, you know, the, the number two pencil. Do you, you feel that maybe it was a mistake for the United States to try to go high tech in our voting system? They should have maybe retained the no. old fashioned way? No, I think I think it was a mistake to decide that the company that they're going to use is going to be all former members of Hillary Clinton's staff. Yeah. That, I think that's where the, the error was. All these people worked on uh, Hillary Clinton's staff and are now obviously not in uh, 
not not going to do anything that's going to promote her previous contender uh, for the Democratic Party. So it, it's not, I, I like the idea of moving toward uh, an, an elect, uh, electronic system to record stuff as long as we still have a paper backup, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what they have here. So fortunately, there you know there are paper ballots that can be referenced to fix this. They're just not releasing the information, and they're not giving any justification as to why it's taking so long. Now, the, so, now here in Canada, we have we have a, a, a body that's actually it's a nonpartisan body called Elections Canada, and and they're actually at arm's length from the government. They're, although they're funded by uh, by by the government in a way, they're at arm's length. They're out of reach, and they're the ones running the election. Is there such a body in the United States that kind of oversees the election, or is it just like a private enterprise thing going on? Um, yeah, the latter, unfortunately. Well, I think every state runs their election independent. Isn't that right, Robert? Isn't that awful? You're the, you know, you're the expert. Yeah, but, but do, you have, do you have a federal body? I, they As have the federal body, body. But, but now I think that body has been sort of stripped of its membership, and they're not, um, you know, they don't have enough people to do anything, if I'm correct. But I think each state is in charge of running their elections the way they see fit. Mm. Am I close, Robert? Yes. The, the problem is that they all report to either the Republican uh, National Committee or yeah, the oh, Republican Convention or the yeah. Democratic National Committee. So the uh, oversight, yeah. it, the, the independent oversight is... There is no independent oversight. Well, that's what I was saying. I think there is that, I think there is the commission, but they've just been slowly stripped of members and not replaced because the head of it comes on every now and then and starts talking about how limited they are now and being able to you know, oversee the ethics part of it. I mean, it. I would not be surprised by seeing what's, what's happening in 2016 and what seems to be happening in 2020. I would not be surprised if somebody comes up eventually, one of the international members of the G8 and basically says, we have to start actually sending people to the U.S. to oversee the elections. Well, and the what bad, an amazing thing that would be. Well, the, the bad part of it is, if you look at it that way globally, you'd say that the, the other countries are saying, you know, the U.S. has two parties, corrupt and incompetent. And we've got to keep, and we're going to have to keep an eye on both of them. Where the hell has America gone, you know, in the last 15 years? Well, it, I mean, it, it happens every couple decades where yeah. the party just has to reset. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, the last time this happened was during segregation. You know, Republicans used to be Democrats and Democrats used to be Republicans. So you'll, yeah. you'll often hear that that common straw man trope from the Republican Party of saying, well, Abe Lincoln freed the slaves and he was a Republican, yeah. you know. But it's forgetting that, you know, that there was a major demographic shift that occurred right around mm. the time that you know we were trying to decide whether or not black kids could go to school with white kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's what's that's what's going to happen next to to pull the crystal ball out over here. But we're going to go through the same violent shift that the Republican Party just went through. And and look how how powerful of a change it was. We're so distracted by Trump because he's such an asshole that we're really not looking at this in the big picture. People aren't really talking about how subservient all these Republicans are to Trump because of populism power. And that's unfortunately, even though we we're liberals, we like to win. Unfortunately, that's how big of a change is coming on our side, and it's going to be not somebody you know level-headed like Bernie Sanders or even someone like Buttigieg. You know, as much as I, I think he's a he's, he's scamming everybody here and playing the role with the DNC. You know, that's politics, baby. That's the he's he's doing what what he wants to do or what he has to do to win, 
and he's not he's not a bad guy as far as I know. He seems seems like a he'd be a great candidate. He's I just don't think he has what it takes to beat Trump. He, well, but, yeah, he, he'd be better, he'd be better than Trump anyway if he was president. Let's, let's put yeah. it but it's not going to be guys like Buttigieg or Biden or you know uh, Klobuchar or or Sanders or any any of these people that are running right now. It's going to be somebody like a a left version of Trump. It's going to be somebody completely crazy, and you know revolutions are bad on the onset. It's not a good thing to have a revolution. The good thing is what that causes later is it gets everything. Reset, recalibrated, and that's that's what's going to have to happen on the left. I, I don't think Sanders, even if he does get the nomination, that he'll he'll beat Trump either. Really? Well, you know, and it's it's discouraging because I look at all the Democrats, and of course everybody's flawed, everybody's human, but I don't see one candidate who can rise above his or her own flaws to become that dynamic or hopeful leader that everybody says, yeah, that's the one. That's the right. one that we really need, you know, to get us out of uh, out of this reset or whatever it is that you want to call it, Robert, because I think you're correct. But, oh, it's such a weight on your shoulders to think that the election coming up, as far as we know, is not going to reveal a person that we all feel you know, enthusiastic about it. it's going to be hold your nose and vote just to get rid of Trump, at least in terms of us liberals. Well, I will challenge both of you on this, and I will say this is my prediction, yeah. it's only worth that much. I will say uh, if everything goes according to plan, and I think the populist movement is strong enough behind Sanders, that I think the DNC will not be able to stop him unless they do something really outrageous and incredibly uh, flagrant. And if Sanders is a candidate, he will win. That's my prediction. Well, if he's a candidate, you know, fingers crossed. I think he will be. I, I'm, I'll vote down. for the candidate, whoever it is. Oh no! So, so yeah. If I was an American, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. But you know, I you know, I, if it was like something like Joe Biden, I would hold my nose and vote for Biden. If it was San, if it was somebody like Sanders, I'd be first in line. Yeah. I would trade Bernie Sanders for our prime minister, even with his yeah. hair. I wish you were in the states and could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, like I said, that's my prediction. It's only worth that much. Uh, but you don't you don't feel that way, Robert. Now, uh, a lot of the people that we're hearing from from the the media are in large cities, and large cities always go blue. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how our electoral electoral college works, and that's just that's not how I think the majority of America feels right now. I think they like having Trump in office. They like the things that he's doing, and the ones that don't care about it are entertained, and the ones that do care about it are. You know, they're just going to support them no matter what because they want to see this system collapse rather than keep going the way that it was. How, how does the average American feel about the picture of the United States? Because we're, we're international observers, obviously, and that's the first thing we see is mm-hmm. the United States' reputation on the international scale of the world has essentially been trampled into the dust. It's 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 nowhere near the country we used to think of as the U.S. But it seems yeah. to me that the average American doesn't see it that way. No, but the the power of propaganda is so strong that people watching Fox News and a lot of YouTube creators, um, a lot of social media content creators, um, are all talking about how much America is finally respected again. Oh and my God! Really? People on the right really do believe that you guys are finally respecting us thanks to donald trump it is it is mind-blowing the 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 deceptive 
power that that these kind of outlets have. I, I have no idea how that pendulum just slows down after this because it's it's going to swing hard to the left next and swing back hard to the right, and it's just going to keep getting higher and higher. And uh, I don't know where that leads after that. I don't know. In terms of the overall vote, Robert, what do you think of this? I think the vote or the the election for the, for the liberals, for the Democrats, depends on two groups. The younger voters under 30 and the black voters, mostly women. And if they turn out to vote and they're not suppressed by the Republicans, I think the Democrats are going to win. But if that dynamic and the suppression is too hard, we're not. What do you think? I don't I don't think there's there's the racial suppression um, intentionally as, as that is represented um, just to that's not answering your question, but just to, if I can throw my own personal critique, oh, sure. yeah, sure. a great assault, but Spoken I think like it's more, <laughs> it's more of a class issue. And, you know, unfortunately if, if you're in a particular demographic that has been a, you know, a slave in the past and then segregated against, and then even has trouble finding jobs that might be, uh, uh, focused on by law enforcement more than other races, then, you're going to more likely be in the lower financial class uh, generally. So I think that's that's part of what that is. It's not just um, a, a, a racial bias that currently exists in the U.S. Is as much as the hyperbole in media says. Um, but there certainly is a class warfare. And whenever you look at that, you can see the races represented very, very clearly, uh, including Hispanic ones, um, but yeah, to, to your to your question though, I I agree with you as as far as the minority vote and the young young people vote. But you know, pe- th- there's no law. Do, do you guys have a law in um, Canada that says that you get a vacation day or it's a national holiday whenever you get to vote? Uh, sort of. What you do have is your employer has to give you, a, depending on the province, but usually about three to four hours if you're having a work day to actually allow you to go vote by law. You need, to, you need to have some time off. You have to finish your shift early enough to give you time to go vote. Or if you can't, if your shift happens during the, the entire day for something, I don't know, you're pulling it 12 hours, they got to give you time to go vote by law. Interesting. Yeah, so that that just doesn't really happen here. I don't know if there's maybe a, a a law somewhat like that. Have you ever heard anything like that, Nancy, in the U.S.? I haven't. No, I think I've, I've read a lot of um, uh, uh, protests about it. You know, saying that there should be. Yeah, there is a movement to make it a holiday. But also in the in in Canada, we also have a pretty good period of early voting, at least a week, mm. and published and and you can register to vote at the early vote. You can register, and it's very open. It's a system that is transparent the way voting should be. Yeah, you moved. That's okay. Come on, we'll take care of it. Yeah, you, no problem. To vote in Canada, you got to make a it, minimal effort. Yeah, right? and they have the voting rolls, and you've got to prove that you're a citizen, but it's not done to discriminate. It's just done a little bureaucracy here. We got to make sure you are who you are. And then it, if you've got a problem, it's settled really pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. There haven't been too many protests about the, about the process. Yeah. Well, the, the minority vote and the young people vote, um, really, really has a big bearing on what financial level they're at. 
yeah. uh, as to whether or not. I mean, they, they have had their labor rights crushed so much uh, that they, they don't feel like they have a voice. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't think it would matter if they voted anyway. And for the most part, they're correct. I mean, obviously, if, if you have Clinton running against Trump, you can vote for one of them. And there there is one that's better than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that you didn't get to decide who you were offered in the first place means that it really, you know, you really don't have a representation, uh, a, a constitutional uh, republic. So they're not wrong in that regard. And that's that's kind of the whole point of uh, Noam Chomsky's critique is just that we're, we're not really represented uh, in this country because we don't get to decide who is running. They decide that. And, and we're seeing that playing out live right now in Iowa. Hmm. Uh, it seems to me that the American system is in a hell of a mess. Is there, have, have, as a citizen of the U.S., uh, Robert, and, and, and living in Texas, have, is there any appetite for Americans to go beyond the two-party system that you guys have? Is there an appetite to actually have a third and a fourth party? Well, you you got to have a party that's really going to gonna bring it. They have to have a movement behind them, uh, kind of like Trump does, kind of like Sanders does. Um, you're not going to – you're not seeing that with the Green Party. Uh, I voted Jill Stein which I know was a throwaway vote, but I just, I couldn't vote for Trump or Hillary in 2016. Mm -hmm. I really couldn't. But if you're going to offer me the chance to use my vote in support of environmental regulations, that's obviously a a safe place as far as my conscience can go. But uh, I would have happily voted libertarian, even though there's a lot of things I disagree with libertarians about. I think they need to be on that stage because they're asking questions about uh, anti-war policy, um, immigration issues, um, things that people on the left would be shocked of how much we actually line up with that party with. And people on the right would line up with libertarians on a lot of stuff as well. But that seems to be what we hear the most because the the loudest libertarians are assholes. But I, th- I think there's going to have to be a, a big movement. And as, as long as we're putting people like Jill Stein out there, or Gary Johnson from the libertarian angle, you're not going to get that. We almost got it with the... Ron Paul, mm-hmm. uh, he he had a pretty big movement behind him, but and and think about that debate stage. Even though he didn't have a chance of winning, uh, if you go back and play some of that those recordings of things that he was saying, the whole audio he would say something like, "What are we doing in Iraq? Let's get out of there. We shouldn't be in the Middle East at all. Leave these people alone." And and you just hear all these people just booing like ooh, and then the crowd would slowly rumble, 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 and build into just mad applause. People standing up, going like, "Oh my god, I hadn't thought of that." Yeah, you know. And and this was this was way back, mm-hmm. and people were just starting to hear ideas like, "Let's just stop policing the world. Maybe they won't be mad at us." You know, and, and you're not hearing that from any side. You're not even hearing that from Sanders. Really, oh, the only right. candidate that seemed to really be representing that angle was Tulsi Gabbard. And they shut her down quick. And who came out and called her a Russian asset immediately? Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton. Exactly. 
No, the, the whole U.S. policing the world has always been an incredible phenomenon to me. I mean, it's not like the world's ever asked for the U.S. to police the world, but they've just <laughs> taken that on, uh, on onto themselves. Like, and I think I, I think a lot of countries in the world, including this country right here in Canada, saying, "Well, what are you guys doing? You don't need to do this," you know. <laughs> but Europe asked us pretty hard. <laughs> but that, was, that was a long time ago. Rand Paul was charismatic, and all of a sudden, what's his name from Texas? Um, the guy that that uh, just died recently. McCain. Um, no, that had the um, the, um, the the um, the business okay. out, running out of. T- you know who I'm talking about, but I'm, my mind is just absolutely a blank. Uh, who ran as a third party and then said he couldn't do it because he got a, a lot of hate Ross mail. Pardon? Ross Perot? Ross Perot. Yeah, Ross Perot. I loved Ross Perot. Ross Perot hilarious. You know, said a lot of stuff that made that made sense, but he just he wasn't the right candidate. But I have to applaud what he did and for yes. him staying in the in the race. He just didn't in the end, you know, he he, he didn't he he faded. He pulled himself away. But that was the closest I think that we can we've come in decades, you know, to having having an and matter of fact I have a Ross Perot sweatshirt. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. That's like a I can say that I love Ross Perot, but I just love that Ross Perot like that kind of person exists. Yeah existed yeah. but you know it's just that they're out there they're putting that that's what we need and we do that's why i don't i don't know how to answer your question as far as like what kind of a, a party system we could ever get in the u.s that's not just two party i mean it would have to be a movement but yep. even long before that just having that message out there and that's why i think you know it gets it gets shit on a lot by the left but the freedom of speech uh, is the most important freedom that you have, and it's even more important than life. Yeah. I, I find it interesting when they say, for example, that you look at the politics right now, and like I said, from an international observer, of course, uh, point of view, uh, they say, for example, um, somebody like Sanders is too far left, which to me, I, I just shake my head because you know Sa- Sanders would be viewed anywhere else in the world, including this country, probably much as a centrist. Uh, th- there is no left party in the states. I mean, the whole country is right wing by far. Yeah. I mean, and, and even the most staunch uh, conservative here in Canada, I don't think, would be fit enough to be a Republican in the states half the time. It's it's just it's amazing that you know you have the entire country saying, oh, the the policies of Sanders and the policies of Warren and the policies are, are too far left. They say, really? You guys have no idea what left really is at this point. Uh, you you think? How, how do we remedy that? What, what is it about the Americans that they, they can't seem to be able to see outside of their borders to what how other countries are doing things? Yeah, I, I would ask. I would ask you the same thing. I don't know, man. It, it seemed to happen. We were just talking about World War II just now, but right after that, mm-hmm. it, it just seemed to start sliding more and more right. And even even Sanders, who they think is just some kooky socialist, he'd be sinner in in your country or in Europe. But it's. I, I have no idea. I, I think that's a that's a good that'd just be a good thing. We just fireball right now. What different ideas as to why that started to occur? We can we can at least we can at least bracket this because we know when it began. Uh, FDR was worshipped like a king. Yes. So pre World War II, we weren't really that way. In fact, Republicans were really uh, pushing for environmentalism more than democrats that was that was one of their major major party messages uh, when, it, 
what did the other Rose? Yeah, the other Roosevelt, Teddy, that started all the national parks. You know, yes, yes. so. I, I have no idea, man. I don't know, but and even even in the seventies, uh, what was it, Nixon? Yeah, I was going to go there, so I'm glad you did. Well, go ahead, go please. Uh, uh, no, no, go Nixon ahead and say what you're going to say because we'll we'll probably yeah, it'll we be identical, those... and you sound and are a lot smarter than I am. So go. <laughs> <laughs> but but either way, yeah, he he passed all the Clean Water Act and. Cities in, in the U.S. were just covered in smog. Some still are. Yep. California, good example. Somehow, all the all the left leaning cities are the dirtiest and trashiest. It seems. I don't know why that is, but it it just seems to happen. But either way, the yeah the the right the right wingers weren't like they are now. And I don't I don't know what's happening, but the whole country, you're right, as a whole, just seems to be sliding more right. And maybe. Maybe that's just what happens when you're at the top of the pyramid financially. Well, I was going to go parallel to what you were saying, that up to the era of Nixon, in both parties, there were the um, the conservative, the moderate, and the, the liberal wings. The, the Republicans and the Democrats could get along with each other and pass legislation in a civil way because they had all three uh, elements. And they managed to get together, and you had the liberal Republicans who were very much like the moderate Democrats. When Nixon wanted to get into office, I think he fractured a lot by going after the the Southern Democrats and having that that policy of trying strategy. to turn those Democrats into Republicans because they were unhappy with civil rights. And once he penetrated the uh, the Democratic Party, who who were hypocritical and decided mm. no, we're actually going to come out and be Republicans. I think that's probably when that started. And as I've said, you know, several times that I, you know, Kevin is about to beat his head against the wall if I say it <laughs> again. So la 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 for Kevin. But when Newt Gingrich started his. Um, his platform of, you know, something, it wasn't like back to America, but, or America first, but it was pretty much the same, which meant no prisoners, we're right, they're wrong. I think that probably is the era between Nixon and Gingrich, that yeah, this the really, era. yeah, the, mm-hmm. and the Reagan era. I think that's, I don't know, do, do you get any of that in your classes, you know, to, to investigate that era for these kinds of things or, 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 or not? Well, yeah, but my, my professors would 100% agree with you. And it's so funny because they have to just report what – well, I mean, you don't really do textbooks anymore You know, at, at that point. You're really just reading from the source. But they, they have to report exactly what happened and what the, the political scientists uh, have a consensus about what is happening in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And where I go to school uh, is one of the branches of A&M University – that's right next to Fort Hood, uh, a military base. So there's a lot of military guys, which are predominantly, uh, they're, they're conservative people. So they will get furious and just, you know, even, even if the philo- the professor's not a liberal, they're just saying like, here, this is uh, peer review journals all seem to have a consensus that this is, this is what's occurring. And, and you're right. It, it, it really seems to be a result of the civil rights change. Um, but 
they'll, they'll just get all upset. Oh, we're not racist and blah, blah, blah. And Reagan did a lot for this country and trickle down economics is was a success and, and all that kind of thing. And it's, it's amazing to watch the, the cognitive dissonance that occurs over a four year de- degree of just like, you know, going to class with these guys where in the beginning they really were just so adamant and staunch on, on their right leaning stuff. And, and as they progress, you know, they don't necessarily become liberals. They're not out there all of a sudden in love with AOC or something, you know, but they, they at least got to start to lose that, that party loyalty over the years. That is interesting. Just like, just like we say, you know, education will screw up your, your religious faith, but it seems that education will also screw up your political <laughs> faith for lack of a better term. I mean, I was, I was all about, I, I just, just before I started going to school, I just read, uh, the communist manifesto mm-hmm. and I was looking into Marx and Engels a lot and I was in love with a lot of communist rhetoric. Um, and just, just over time I, I lost a lot of that. You know, I, I still like the, the loosey goosey democratic socialism agenda that, that Bernie seems to push, mm-hmm. but even though it's horrible marketing, but still it, it <laughs> that's, you know, that's fine, but that's really not the same thing. Like I was, I was so far left that I was, I was, uh, you know, proposing for, for socialism on things that, you know, the government really just doesn't need to mess with, you know, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're obviously not good at certain things. They're, they're good at piping water to your house. They're good at getting trains going across the country. They're good at roads. They're definitely good at defense. Um, but you know, you don't want them to handle everything. No, uh, I can understand that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for this, uh, educational tour. Oh, yeah, hour. I can't believe it. I know, right? Time just flies with you. I love talking to you guys. <laughs> so, I thank you so much for this educational tour to U.S. politics. That was uh, very, very, very instructive. Mm-hmm. And it seems that it seems that we we don't agree on absolutely everything, but we see a lot of things in common between our two uh, point of view, my Canadian and our Canadian point of view, and your uh, your American point of view. So anyway, so for our listeners, if people want to find out more about Robert Stanley and the Right to Reason podcast, where can they find you? At therighttoreason.com. There we go. And uh, also, and, and just how fast that flew by in the uh, extra or edited out part of the conversation that you can only get uh, by going to the left of the Valley Patreon. We were just talking about how you guys could do like a six hour show or something. <laughs> But after this, you, you definitely could. I really had I had no idea time flew by that fast. I told you. No, we totally could. But if we do a six hour show, you'll have to be you'll have to join us for that for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll order or we'll let you know when we're going to do it. Order in and uh, then you join us. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Robert, when do we have the pleasure of seeing you up here in Canada? You have to move up here eventually. Yeah. You're not going to uh, stay in Trumpet Sand for long. I want to go into politics here in the U.S. Really? Uh, I don't think I'll move out, but yeah, once once I get once I get some a, a decent degree that I can I can use and, and I like actual political ambition, like to run as a candidate or to be in the background. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would I would start off with something like city council, something small, but oh. definitely that seems to be the only way. And oh, I hate saying this because it, it's just so cold and and machine like. But it seems like the only way to make a difference is litigiously, you know. Like I, I, I love 
I love art and I love music. I, I love the, the, the protest themes from Bob Dylan and that sort of thing. But, you know, is, is that really life responding to art or is it just art imitating life? Is it just art putting out a problem and we have to respond to what that's showing us that we don't want to see? And I think that that response is what's important. Uh, so, uh, you know, as, as much as I, I, I've, I want to be a creative soul in the universe, you know what I mean? Like I want to, yeah. I want to contribute from a place of, of love or compassion or what have you. That shit doesn't seem to work. So <laughs> call me a cynic, but I, I'm thinking if I could just do whatever I got to do to just get that, that one water tower built in some shitty part of town that's got bad water or mm-hmm. pass some law that makes sure that everybody has, you know, equal rights or something, whatever that that's to me, that's, that's my ambition. And so, yeah, I'll probably stay here, but I'd love to come visit. Oh yeah. Uh, hey, yeah. Well, we would support you a hundred percent. And here's my, my question. And I say this in the most respectful and supportive way in the middle of Texas, I would love to know when you get ready what your strategy is going to be as an atheist to get on city council. I would love if, if I could vote 12 times, I'd vote 25 for you. I mean, there's just no there's no question. And I know you would have the support. But when you get ready, run your campaign bias. I really want to see each step of how you do it. And then when you win, boy, are we ever going to have a celebration. But it's going to take it's going to take some hard ground work and ground swell to get you in there. If anybody could do it, you can. But share with us how you plan to do it. But yeah, I, I already have one. But if hey, I told there you, you go. Uh, I'd be incriminating myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's politics. That's right. Perfect. Bob, before I let you go, i got to have you say, Hi, this is Robert Stanley, future mayor of Texas somewhere. <laughs> I took a left at <laughs> <in> the valley. <laughs> this is Robert Stanley for the Right to Reason podcast, and I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. And that was our friend Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast. Always oh a pleasure. It, it is, and the time seems to go <laughs> time to so smile, fast. Robert. It really does. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like we're sitting here having a cup of coffee, some chips, yeah, absolutely. and just, just chatting. Just and nothing, chatting. And, and, and we don't have to watch what we're saying. It's just, just enjoyable conversation. Heaven and the listen, it's like the listeners are all here with us, you know, nodding and laughing and, you know, in, in, having a good, and I hope you are just enjoying the, the conversation Absolutely. with us. So heaven forbid we should ever actually meet Robert in person, because uh-huh. you remember when you were a teenager and you were just hanging on the corner somewhere and you ended up chatting with your buddies all night till the sun came up. That's exactly what would happen with Robert. I'll guarantee you that. Well, it's more like a girl slumber party with me, but <laughs> same thing. <laughs> same thing. So that was a very interesting look into politics from yeah. uh, a student from the center of political of Texas. science. Yeah, from the center of Texas. And uh, I'm surprised that, you know, uh, we, we, we have some differences, but we have a lot more in common. And I think we view the world pretty much in the same way. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that was well, pretty cool. people are people. You know, we all have our own backgrounds and, and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mm-hmm. make a difference what country we're in. We may speak a different language, but we have the same philosophies. Do you think as, as an American, he's impressed that us Canadians can really talk 
politics, U.S. politics with them. I think I think I think I think that makes us kind of impressive. Most of the Canadians I know talk about American politics better than a lot of the Americans <laughs> I talk politics with. Well, hopefully. And this isn't to say anything bad. It's just that you're so knowledgeable. We're so not. We are because I'm dual citizen. Yeah. We are knowledgeable. Well, I sure, I sure hope we've managed to instruct some of our Canadian listeners and maybe some of our American listeners too as to what yeah, actually goes on in there. Please. Be, be, I, I know we say this a lot, but because of what's going on in the States and you're a listener or wherever you are, mm-hmm. and we devoted so much time because this is important. Please let us let us know how you feel. Write us just a few notes or letters because we would really like to include your comments. No, absolutely. You know, on on our on our program. So let us know, and if you have any more ideas for shows like this or your point of view, we're sure open to that too. We want to hear from you. And like, like I said, you know, I hate politics as much as the next guy, but I understand yeah. its power. Yeah. So you need to take it. Uh, take it interest into it yeah. and it's for your own sake and for your, your family's sake and everything you really need to get involved yeah. and I hope this show today helped doing that well thank you so much Nancy for being with me and thank you to our <laughs> guest Robert Stanley for being with us today on the show and thank you for listening you can find us at leftatvalley.com you can find us at Facebook at Twitter at LETV Podcast you can send an email at left at valley at outlook.com you can send your complaints to Nancy on the ground floor but beware the incoming knife you can give us a five-star review wherever you find us. It helps us and helps others find the show. We would really, really appreciate that. Or you can become a patron and support the show. You can go to Patreon slash LATV. Okay, coming up, we have uh, Chris Shelton. We'll be talking about Scientology. That'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. Is that the first time we've talked about it? It is the first time we've talked about I don't think we've ever talked Scientology no, I don't before, think so. so that's going to be interesting. Our old friend Thomas Westbrook comes back on the show as well. Oh, okay. He's been uh, up to some interesting things. Dave War- Warnock, that we were supposed to have today, will be coming on the show eventually on the road. We'll Looking forward to him coming back. Hope he's okay. Yeah, well absolutely. wishes to he's him. Just, he's just very busy. He travels okay. all over the place. It just didn't happen to work this, this time. And uh, we'll also have um, Ben Davis. Our friend Ben Davis is coming back as well. Always glad to talk to Ben. And, of course, I have to... I I also have... uh, uh, To to say... um, We'll be a guest on... For Jane McGaffick. We'll be a guest on his show. So that's going to be us going on the beginning of March. And also at the very beginning of March... The Secular Shoot People will meet their demise once and for all at the hands. This prank war is going to come to an end. It's not going to be pre-end. And I'm going to say, I have the nuclear option, Nancy. I have the nuclear option. You know, they've been very quiet. They have? Do they feel intimidated? Well, you you know what? I will will say, Amy, Amy, I will, you know, as Canadians, we like to compromise. You surrender now. You will save thousands and millions of lives, and you will end the suffering and the, the humiliation that I have in store for you. Don't force me to do this. I beg of you. But if you do, that's it. That's will uh-huh. be the end of Secular Soup as we know it. Oh, so Secular Soup is cooling off. <laughs> Thank you, my dear Nancy. Until next time. Children are by priests and holy men of God they get away scot-free. Oh, whatever you want. You gotta wake up first, right? I can hear you. Yeah. Go run, get another cup of coffee. I got one right here. Listen, I'm not. I'm not being. You know, I'm not putting you down. I'm the same way. I'm just. You know, I. You and I could probably fall asleep at this particular moment. Hey, the show's not that boring. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Oh. <laughs>
Well, we have to keep listening to your dad jokes. Hey, yeah. those dad jokes got us the best Canadian podcast of the year. Okay, I can't, I can't argue with that. <laughs> That's no, so it's cool. Not, it's not that is show. cool, isn't it? I, you know, like I said, really, really, really did not expect that. You know what's funny is I, I thought uh whatever i saw that i thought it was like a joke thing that you wrote and i'm like <laughs> oh he made himself the winner you know and and, and the, the only reason i thought that was because that's exactly the kind of goof uh-huh. because i saw the secular soup thing and i was like <laughs> yeah oh, yeah he did but, but yeah that, that that was a legit victory it right? was so, we were so totally cool. surprised yeah if you, if you think you were shocked by that how do you think i was shocked when i started reading that article say holy shit yeah <laughs>